Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church Online. My name is Drake, and I'm so glad you're tuning in with us. Hey, listen, we want to know that you're there. We're grateful that you're tuning in. Let us know in the chat where you're tuning in from. Say hi and interact with everybody there. Listen, also, while we're tuning in here, you can use that Facebook live chat if you're there and uh, share it with your friends and everybody in your sphere of influence. Also, if you're on the Church Online platform, you can click the button that's popping up right now, and you can actually invite someone right now to join you for our live stream service. So again, thanks so much for tuning in. Glad to have you guys here. We've been in this series called Who Needs God? And man, it's been crazy helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for you. If you're tuning in for the first time, you can catch the earlier parts of this series, which are pretty foundational, um, on our YouTube channel. And that would be an honor for you to go back and check those out and share those if it's helpful for you. Um, But as we get into the conversation today, we're kind of leaning into what I think is one of the biggest hurdles for Man, tons of people when it comes to conversations around embracing faith or embracing the idea of God or, or, or stepping even remotely toward religion, okay? And that's this big idea, the word injustice. Everybody say injustice, injustice. And this is a hard one, right? Like when it comes to looking at the world, we look at pain and suffering and injustice in the world, and then we are having this tension of reconciling like a good and loving God who allows those things to happen. And if you've ever been in that space where you have a hard time reconciling those two things, first of all, listen, you're not alone, and I hope this conversation is going to help you. But I want you to know that, that this idea, this idea of injustice, it's primarily a struggle for Western people. It's primarily a struggle for like first world people. It's primarily a struggle for American people. It's primarily a struggle for Canadian and European people. And so I don't know where you're tuning in. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. I want you to know that we're glad you're here and everyone is loved, safe, and welcome as we engage in community and and connect in this conversation. But I I want you to think about it. If you've had the privilege of traveling around the world and you've ever been to a place of extreme poverty, what's, what's Unique is you often find extraordinary faith in those areas over extraordinary doubt. And so when it comes to wrestling through pain and suffering, I want to invite you into maybe a a, a viewpoint that you haven't had before or have had the chance to wrestle through. And so here's the typical argument of injustice. It kind of goes like this. If he's good, he would. And if he could, he would. Everybody say, it's good. It's good, okay. And, and here's the idea. We, we say, okay, if, if God is good, then he would do something about injustice and pain and suffering in the world. And if God could, then he would. If he was powerful enough to engage and do something about pain and suffering and injustice in the world, then he would. Now, so the challenge is either he's lacking good or he's lacking could. Are you with me? And so typically we, we go back and forth. He's either lacking ability or he's, he's lacking the desire to, but typically we come to the conclusion that it's not an issue of lacking, but rather he just doesn't exist at all. And so we come to this conclusion. We try to, try to 
argue around the idea that because of pain and suffering, because of injustice in the world, God doesn't exist. And as we get into the conversation, I want to talk about the logic behind this assumption. And uh, let me just give you a footnote. As we get into it today, let me just give you kind of a, a, a side note that's going to be helpful to you when it comes to loving and, and helping others. And if you've ever leveraged, like, I don't know where you are right now, but if you've ever leveraged suffering or pain in the world to argue against the existence of God, like if you've ever done that remotely, if you ever said, man, how could there be a good God based on X, Y, and Z? If you've ever done that, I just want to give you a word of caution, and it looks like this. Proceed with caution when using other people's pain to build your case against God. And here's why I give you that. Because it's insulting, okay? And, and you, don't, you probably don't mean for it to be, but you need to know that for a lot of people, suffering in the world actually ends up being a path that leads to God. And so this is where we kind of get in trouble is we tend to cast a wide net in this conversation and we, we kind of make some blanket statements and we say, look, look at all the pain and suffering in the world. And because of all this pain and suffering, then there, there simply can't be a good God. And I would just encourage you, listen, you need to pause for a moment and talk to every individual who has ever experienced pain and suffering in the world and get their perspective and their viewpoint on it. And here's why, because I believe that you would discover as you have conversations that extraordinary suffering for many people often leads to extraordinary confidence in God. And so I just want to encourage you, be careful in this conversation of using other people's pain to leverage your argument against the existence of God. Okay, that's just a side note. Okay, we're not parking there today, so I just want to give you that. Here's where we're going today. Here's the big idea, if you will. There is no rational argument against the existence or the involvement of the God of Jesus. Now listen, this is really important that you park with me on this idea. We're talking about the God presented by Jesus at this point. We did some foundational work last week that you can go back and check out, but the argument here is hinging on this, okay? So don't get outside of that bubble. But there is no rational argument against the existence or the involvement of the God of Jesus based on injustice in the world. So when it comes to pain, suffering, injustice, there's not a rational argument against the existence of the God that Jesus presented. And here's the deal. This is a really emotional conversation. And so especially, listen, if you're on the other side of this and you've experienced enormous pain or suffering or injustice and, you know, we look at this conversation, we say, man, how could God allow this to happen? How could a good God, how could a, a loving God allow this to happen? How could a just God allow this to happen? And, and emotions rise high. And I just want you to know, listen, I get it. And we should all have enough empathy to enter into the emotion and the pain of someone else's life and just be able to sit with them. And so I'm not discrediting for a moment the experiential side of this conversation. What I'm inviting us into is to step outside of the emotional part of this conversation and look at the rational and the logical side of this argument in particular. And, and the point here is this, that there's no rational argument against the God presented to us by Jesus based on pain and suffering in the world. And I, I told you this last, uh, I think it was like three weeks ago, and, and I'll give it to you again. It was this kind of idea that no one has ever argued like this. Christians have never made an argument for the existence of God based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. No one has ever said a good God 
wouldn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And since bad things never happen to good people, God must clearly exist, right? No one has ever said that a good God would never allow injustice to happen to just people. And since just people never experience injustice, God must exist. No one has ever made these types of arguments. And so here's my point, that when we start to take the, the leverage of pain and suffering and injustice in the world and we throw it against uh, the, the the idea of the existence of God, it doesn't really hold any water. It's not, it's not as rational as we've been led to believe. It's emotional and it's moving, but it's simply not as rational as we're led to believe. And um, here's what I'd like to propose instead of, of pain and suffering threatening the existence of God, and it's this, that injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God more so than the existence of God. Injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. And listen, there is injustice, right? You didn't have to look for a second. We all recognize there is injustice, and Christians clearly claim to worship a God who is good and right and loving, and so this calls into question the justice of God more than the existence of God. It, it means that it makes more sense to be angry at God for his lack of justice than to be atheist when it comes to not believing that he's there. And so here's my question for you as we wrestle through this, and it's this. Why do we assume if there is a God, that God must be good and just? Like, like where, where does that come from? Where does the assumption that if there is a God, he must be good and just? I just want you to think about it for a moment. There's a, there's a presupposition operating in the background of this argument. Here's the argument. If there is a God... He must be good and just. And since bad things happen and unjust things happen to good people, then he must not exist. Do you hear the presupposition? That, that, especially for us first world thinkers, like, like where did we get the idea in the first place that, that God must be good and just? And I think, I don't know, you know where you're coming from and where you're tuning in, but there's this cute little song, prayer, rhymey thing that we've probably heard at some point. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might have heard this. Or you maybe heard it in a movie or whatever. And there's this idea operating in the background of the song that, that God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Right? It's an awful, it's just, it's a terrible, it sucks. Like, it doesn't even rhyme, right? But for some reason, it's like stuck in there. If you're going to do it better, you could at least like try to make it rhyme. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food, right? I like, come on, like, it, it, it's somewhere in there, this idea that someone told us so, and this is where it's coming from. This question is answered by a very, very simple reality, that someone told us that. We got it from somebody, somewhere, and, and, and whoever told you, I want to ask you the question, like, where did they get that idea? Like, where does this whole idea come from that God must necessarily be good and just. And let me just point out for the record that whoever you learn this from, they did not observe it from nature. They didn't look out in the world around them and come to this conclusion. And so here's, here's what we're wrestling to the ground today. If you've walked away from faith or you stayed away from faith because of pain or because of injustice or because of suffering, and listen, I'm sure if, if I were to sit down with you and I were to hear your story, man, I, I'm sure I would say, man, I, I don't blame you. And who could blame you if you walked away or stayed away after what you've experienced? And, and for the record, I'm not blaming you. But what I am inviting you into is if you stepped away or walked away or you don't know where you land today, I get it. 
but maybe you stepped away unnecessarily. Maybe, maybe the, the, the roadblock that's been presented is not holding as much water as you were led to believe on the front end. And, and so here's the deal. Th- this whole justice and dignity idea um, uh, that we get from God, this God that we would like to exist that upholds justice and dignity, um, the justice and dignity for all version of God, it was introduced to us by Jesus. Now, now hear me on this. If we're going to argue against the existence of God based on pain and suffering in the world, we've got to find the source of where did that assumption that he must be good and just come from. And what I want you to hear me say is that that idea, this justice and dignity for all version of God, it was introduced to us by Jesus. Guys, before Jesus, there was no concept of this incredible idea. No one had ever, ever thought of of God being this amazing God who loves everyone on the planet. And here's the challenge. We get numb to this. Like, especially if you're in the Western culture and you've heard the idea that God loves you. Like, listen, if if you're on the other side of this conversation and you've never heard the words that God loves you and he proved it, hear it from me. God absolutely is crazy about you. But odds are, You've heard it somewhere, sometime. And so we kind of get numb to the amazing, I mean, just staggering concept that, that God is love. This would have been blowing for century minds. And one of the closest followers of Jesus, his name was John. He was an eyewitness. He documented the entire life and death and burial of Jesus. And, and as he was writing down the life of Jesus and all that he had learned, in, in chapter 3 of his book, as he writes the, uh, the, the account, he, he writes, For God so loved, and this is a famous verse that a lot of people know, but I think our hearts get numb to it. And I, I think if you're John, you're sitting there, and he's like, man, for God so loved, that, like the Jewish people. And then he thinks about, oh, it's bigger than that. Like, he loves the nation of Israel. And then I think John's sitting there wrestling with it. He's like, man, from all the time I spent with Jesus, I think it's way bigger than this. I think, I think maybe it's for God so loved the world. And guys, this is mind-blowing. This is unheard of, and it all came from Jesus. And so whoever, listen, whoever told you when it comes to this argument that God must be good and loving and just, whether they knew it or not, this treat everybody fairly, this everyone has dignity idea, that idea originated and came from Jesus. And listen, this is crazy. It came at a time when there was neither justice or dignity for anyone. Jesus stepped in and introduced an idea when it wasn't available. It was rich over poor. It was power over the weak. It was a might made right society. And no one carried dignity depending on what circle you were in. Women had no place in society. Children, guys, listen, at at points in time, children weren't even named because they most likely wouldn't live for it long enough to matter. And so into that world of no dignity and no justice. Jesus steps in with this idea. and He claimed that every single person had dignity and value. And God loved every single person on the planet. And everybody was just mind blown about this 
concept. And this is the most amazing thing of all. You need to really, man, man, press in on this. Jesus' first century followers, the ones that embraced this idea and believed in him and began to follow him, they paid dearly. They suffered dearly. They were heavily persecuted for embracing this good and just and loving God. They embraced a God that was good and just and a culture characterized by injustice. Like, does your mind wrap around this? You, you got to ask the question, like, how, how could they do that? And why, 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 where does that come from? Listen, if the Christian God, and I don't know, you know where you're walking in, but if the Christian God had been so fragile that, it could be, that he could be argued away by the conversation around injustice, man, it would have never made it out of the first century alive. Right, because there was, there was 300 years of heavy persecution on all of Jesus' followers. And so you got to ask the question, how, how did Christianity survive the first century? And I'd like to propose that maybe you missed something. Maybe we missed something here. That there are Christians today all around the world, and that speaks to the strength of the God that Jesus came to introduce. And so John writes these words as he reflects on all that Jesus had to say about God. And I'll show you in John, uh, 1 John chapter 4. Here's what John said. He said, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? Why, why, are we, why would we love one another? Listen, you got to understand, in this culture, this doesn't make a lot of sense. It was just kind of like watch out for your own and, and, and take care of yourself. There was no Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Like just be nice to everybody and just love everybody, man, because that's the, that's the nice thing to do. That was not the concept and the operating mindset in this culture. And so John says, hey, listen, we need to continue to love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Guys, this was this was staggering to the first century hearers that, that love finds its source, it finds its foundation, it finds its motivation from God. They're like, whoa, this, this is amazing. And, and he, he goes on, he says, anyone who loves is a child of God, meaning, meaning an image bearer that, that love is coming from the God that they have a relationship with. They know God. And he says, but anyone who does not love does not know, there's a heavy relationship term here, does not know God for God. Listen, God is love. We looked at this a little bit last week, and guys, this is heavy because John is writing this literally as his life is at risk. He's writing these words, God is love, as his friends are dying for their Faith. And, and so if, if there's a, a loving God somewhere in your thinking, I, I just need you to know it's not original with you. And it's not original with the person that told you. That concept came from Jesus. And John is letting us know that this concept came from Jesus. And here's what I need you to know. This is also where our basis of justice comes from. That our basis comes from the idea that every single human has dignity. This all comes from Jesus. Now, you need to understand, this is not natural. right? This is not like the conclusion that you come to when you just kind of look out, go for a hike, and watch nature. If you take God out of the equation, you don't come to natural conclusions that everyone is worthy of dignity and justice and honor. right? Nature is not just. And listen, you know this. 
You know this. How many times have you seen the little cute baby bunny and it's all fluffy and it's awesome and it's just that perfect little picture and all of a sudden out of nowhere, bam, like a fox comes and eats the baby bunny. You're like, oh, right? That's not fair. Nature is totally unfair and unjust, right? A little cute baby bunny and bam, like an owl or a hawk picks it up and carries it off. Like that's not fair. That's not just. And I think Stephen Hawking helps us understand the weight of this really, really well. He was giving a, a lecture at the University of Cambridge and here's what he had to say. Stephen Hawking said, the terror that stalks my mind. Everybody say terror. Terror, not terrier like the dog terror, okay? The terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. Wait, wait, wait. Stephen, what? natural selection is making you stay up at night like it's haunting you? Like what, what, what about natural selection is haunting you? He says, and natural selection assumes... Natural rejection, which means we have arrived here where we are today as humanity because of our aggression. He says, that's what keeps me up at night. And he, he went on to say that our only hope, the only hope for mankind is that we move to other planets and spread out. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to destroy each other. This is someone who deeply believes in natural selection and deeply believes and understands the implications of embracing a world without God, a world governed by nature. And the, the nature of natural selection, guys, listen, it's not dignity and it's not justice and it's actually not even injustice. It's ambivalent to all of those things. Right? In a world governed by nature, value is imaginary. Dignity is imaginary. There's natural law and natural selection. It knows nothing of justice and love and dignity. At best, at best, it knows of only tolerance. And the implications here, guys, man, it's staggering as we wrestle through this. Watch this. The best way, the conclusion we can draw here, to get rid of injustice is to rid the world of God. Because when God is gone, injustice leaves with him. Why? Because justice leaves with him. And if we could get rid of this sense of right and wrong and dignity and unjust and fair, if like we could get rid of these nagging feelings, then we could get rid of justice and injustice, then what we're left with is, is a world governed by nature. And it knows neither justice or injustice. And here's the deal. Listen, once there is no standard objective for justice, injustice ceases to exist. Catch it. Listen, once there is no standard objective for justice, injustice ceases to exist. So what are we left with? When there is no objective justice, here's what we're left with. We're left with my justice. We're left with your justice. We're left with Nazi justice and ISIS justice and majority justice and clan justice and nature's justice and street justice and rich justice and power justice. You see, you can have your justice and I'll have my justice, but don't you tell, dare tell me what I ought to do or what's right or what's wrong because that's your justice. It's not my justice. You see, we have nothing and no one to appeal to when God is out of the equation. 
When we reject God because of the injustice that we see in the world, you see, we don't solve injustice. We actually lose the entire definition. And so here's the question. What does the God of Jesus have to say about all this? Does the God of Jesus even address this? Does Jesus help us have a solution to any of this? And the answer is yes. But the ironic thing is we don't like his answer. And so we're going to look at it as we close out our time. But listen, let's just propose that we don't, we went to God and we said, hey, listen, we don't want you to leave. Like we need like some form of outside standard of justice to appeal to. And so what's your plan, God? Like what's the plan for pain and injustice and suffering in the world? How are you going to deal with it if you are good and, and just and all of those things? Here's what you need to know. Jesus brought us God is love. Right? That, that originated with him. We talked about that just a second ago. But that's not all he brought. Everybody say, he's bringing it. He's bringing it. Listen, that's not all he brought, okay? You see, we like the first part. We like the God is love part. Like, the, the God is love, that, that one's easy to lean into. But Jesus also taught that God was just. And we either have to take the whole thing or none of it. And so this is the part that kind of creeps us out. This is the part that we wish we could avoid. And, and this is kind of unnerving because Jesus was incredibly clear about this part. And here's what he said. In the future, there will be the very thing that we accuse God of neglecting. And that is justice for all. You see, you know this and I know this. There is no justice without judgment. We don't like it but we know it to be true. And this is when everyone starts to run for cover and we start to you know, pull out all of our arguments and I don't believe in that God and I knew there was a catch and I, you know, listen, listen, just follow, the, just follow the logic for just a moment, okay? If you don't want judgment, you don't want justice. If you don't want a, a God who, at least in some comp- capacity, embraces judgment, you don't want a just God. You want a God that, They can't exist. And so why do we resist this this idea presented to us by Jesus? And I I think that one of the reasons, including myself, that we resist this idea is because we all fall short. Like we realize that that we all are hypocritical to different degrees and we we don't measure up to our own standards. And so like I absolutely want justice for you. Like if you wrong me or you hurt me or you steal my car, man, we are bringing down the hammer and getting us some justice. But I personally would like some mercy, okay? And so as soon as we introduce this idea, this is where we kind of get nervous and creeped out and weirded out, and we're not nervous for the other people who have wronged us and offended us, right? We're not nervous for them to receive justice. We're nervous for us. I'm nervous for me and what this means for me. And guys, listen, this is amazing. This is why the good news that Jesus came to bring is so compelling. It's why it's the perfect answer. It's why it survived the first, second, and third century. And and it's amazing. Listen, listen. When God saw the state of the world that he created, and when he saw that our freedom took us in the direction that he knew it would take us. And when he saw that we all fell short, and listen, like, we we know we fall short, right? We forget God's standard of falling short. Like, we fall short of our own standards, don't we? 
Like, like we, we can't even do the things that we know we should be doing. We don't even obey all the laws in our own country, much less measuring up to God, right? We know we all fall short. And into a world that had fallen short, God did not send a judge, but he sent a savior. Check it out. Look what Jesus said. John recorded the word to Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 47. Jesus said, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, if anyone falls short, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I didn't come to judge the world, even though it needs judging. (laughs) I didn't come to judge the world, even though it's full of evil. I didn't come to judge the world, even though my nation currently is experiencing great injustice as Jesus steps on the scene. I came to save it. And guys, this is why, lean in, this is why if you've stepped away or you've stayed away from faith, you need to reconsider. Because if you want an objective standard of justice, man, no one gives it to us like Jesus. And God is so good. Listen, God is so good that before he chose to judge, he provided a way to save. And Jesus told a story of this woman, this poor woman who who needed justice. And there was this unjust judge who didn't care about God and didn't love people and didn't care about people. And every day, this woman would show up begging for justice from this judge. And he would ignore her and ignore her. And she'd stand on his lawn and beat on his door and look through his windows and follow him to Walmart. And everywhere he went, she was begging him for justice. And one day, he looks up and he's like, oh my goodness, like the only way I'm going to get this woman out of my hair is to hear her case and give her justice. And Jesus responds and he says, man, if you think that a wicked judge could finally be talked into giving justice to a woman who deserved it, how much more your father, the God who loves you, would do it for you? Look what Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 7. He said, even he, the the unjust judge, rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice To his chosen people who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? And he goes on to say in verse 8, I tell you, Jesus said, he will grant justice. He'll do it to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, I, I didn't come to judge right now, I came to save. And so when I come back, how many will I find on the earth who have faith? And this is the question that you and I need to wrestle with. This is a question that we need to wrestle with in our own hearts and minds. Jesus said, when I come back, am I going to find men and women who look at their life and they say, you know what, man, we're not getting the justice in complete and full like we think we should in this life, but we love the God of justice and mercy. He says, when I come back, will I find men and women who say, man, we're not getting justice like we think we deserve in this life, but we are so grateful. We love that our unjust deeds have been forgiven. Jesus said, man, am I going to find people who have trusted in me that justice is indeed 
coming. You see, we want a God who loves and, and who cares deeply about justice, but who doesn't judge. And that's impossible. And it's inconsistent. And so if you reject the God of Jesus, I, I just want you to hear me. I believe you, re- you reject the basis for justice. You reject the basis for human dignity. You're simply left with biology and nature. And biology will never bring you dignity. Biology allows you to have justice as you see it. And no one else is required to see it like you do. And so if you embrace Jesus, here's the beautiful thing, you get dignity now and justice later. If you embrace Jesus, you get dignity now because God loves you and justice later. And hear me, listen, I don't don't know where you're tuning in, but besides, before you write this whole conversation off, if anyone has ever had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. Think about it. The very guy who taught us that all people have inherent value, the very guy who who said they're all worth dying for, he was executed, he was murdered wrongfully by the very people he came to die for. The man who defined justice for us was treated unjustly. And so here's, here's my simple proposal, okay? Evil and injustice are not arguments against the existence of God. But maybe they're evidence that we desperately need God. So I'm going to make a bold statement, and you might agree with me on this. Maybe not. But if you genuinely care about justice, then I believe that you should want Christianity to be true. Because the evil and injustice in this world, that they're these nagging reminders that something's wrong, right? When we see, isn't there something that happens in your stomach when you see evil and injustice? Isn't there something that like aches inside of you when you, when you hear about the case of Ahmad Arbery? Don't you just, isn't there something in you that aches for making that thing right? And listen, this is not, I'm not saying we shouldn't ever be proactive in justice. That's not what we're talking about right now. But we long for a complete justice that is not completely attainable in this life. But rather, it's something, I believe, that only a just God could one day provide. And so I don't know where you're tuning in. Maybe you walked away or you stayed away because you know, you've been un- unable to reconcile evil and suffering in the world with, with a, a good God and And I'm just asking you, listen, as you tune in, would you reconsider that maybe the roadblock that that, that you've had to faith up until this point, it doesn't carry as much weight as you thought it did. You know, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and as you're tuning into this conversation, you've been confronted with this conversation before, and, and I prayed for you ahead of time, and I believe, guys, I believe there's at least one person that you can share this message with, and you can begin to start some dialogue with, and just meet them where they are. 
And see God use you to love and care for someone and engage in conversation. Maybe, maybe you missed the beginning of the series, and as we're having this, this is peaking some stuff in your heart and mind, and, and, and you feel led like you need to go back and catch up and watch the other messages and, and see what God might do in your own heart. Or maybe, listen, I don't know where you're tuning in, but maybe you're rest ready today to trust in the God of Jesus. Maybe you're ready today to trust in the God that loves you and sent not a judge, but a savior for you. He said you had dignity and he loves you so that you could experience forgiveness and know him relationally as a father. And if that's you, man, I, I, John said it. He said that God loved the world and anyone, whoever would believe, that means you, that means me, that means anyone and everyone that's tuning in, whoever would believe, he said could have new life, could have eternal life. And belief simply means that I'm choosing today to trust in Jesus, that he was who he said he was and that he did what he said he, he, he was going to do. And if that's you and you're at a place where your heart and your mind are ready to say, Jesus, I trust you and I want to follow you and I want you to save me, you can text the word follow right now to the number on the screen. We would love to follow up with you and help you take some next steps in your relationship with God. And maybe... As you're tuning in, you'd like to get further connected. You'd like to take some next steps. You'd like to get baptized. You'd like to join a group. You'd like to help serve the community. Right now, you can just text the word NEW to that same number on the screen. And our team will follow up with you and help you get plugged in. Listen, we're here for you. We love you. And we want to hear from you. Let me pray for you. God, thanks so much that you loved us and you sent Jesus to prove it. And thank you for introducing us to the idea that you are good and just. And thank you that Jesus didn't just bring the idea that you are loving, but that you're just. And you didn't send a judge, but you sent a savior. Man, may our hearts be lifted up in that reality. May you help us reconcile the pain and suffering we see in the world. Could we be advocates of justice as we represent you and your love in the world around us? And will we trust in you? we don't have answers for the pain and the suffering that we see around us that we experience ourselves. Would you meet us in that space? Would you surround us with community and help us provide that for those around us? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in.